If you join with me, today's scripture reading is from John 14, 27. If you'd like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, this is page 901. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Regent. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> My name is Nathan. I'm one of the elders here, and we're continuing our Advent series on peace this week. I'm thankful to get to teach you all this morning alongside my wife, Andrea. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you that um, as we gather in your name, you've promised to be with us. So as we receive your word this morning, would you prepare our hearts to be fertile ground? Lord, would the, the words that we share this morning, uh, anything that is of you, be amplified within our ears, and anything that is not of you, would it just uh, slip away? So, Lord, we give you this time. We pray your blessing over it. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. And good morning, everyone. Uh, we've been moving through our Advent series on peace, specifically the peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, offers to us. So a couple weeks ago, Justin kicked us off with the purpose of peace, why we so desperately need the peace of Jesus to make whole what is broken and to save us all. And last week, Mike taught us about the power of peace, the power that Christ gives us in transforming our lives physically, mentally, and in our communities. This whole intent is ultimately to prepare our hearts and our homes to more fully embrace the significance of Jesus' incarnation. So this week, we'll be moving into what we want to call the problem of peace. Yes, the problem. It's the third Sunday of Advent, which is traditionally centered on joy, as you can see by our pink candle. And today's message, we want to work through this problem of peace so that the words of the proclamation of the angels to the shepherds might ring true to us all today. And in Luke 2, it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Regen, let's dig in. The problem of peace that we must work through together has two sides. Number one is that we know Jesus and are meant to experience peace in him. Still, we so very often find it to be elusive. We find it to be fleeting. We find it to be incomplete. And number two, which we'll see is related, is that although Jesus is our peace giver, the thing he often brings into our lives may so radically feel unpeaceful. So to restate it here, just so we're clear, the problem is peace is that we know we're supposed to have it, but we don't. And we know Jesus is supposed to bring it, but he doesn't. Fun stuff, right? <laughs> um, by the end of this message, we hope you'll find yourselves beginning to work through the problem to find the joy that awaits us. So let's start with the first side of the problem. Why is it that we so often don't feel that peace? Why is it so elusive, so fleeting? One thought that might be that the world we live in is just that unpeaceful. 
The fabric of society is fraying on all sides. Just outside these doors, we're seeing shocking levels of lawlessness. At the highest levels of power in our country, it's alarming to hear about the dysfunction and corruption. And around the world, in Ukraine, Gaza, Israel, there is frightening and unacceptable loss of civilian lives. We're living in heavy times. Is it any wonder that we feel unsettled, uneasy, or deeply disturbed? So let's look again at the verse that Steph read for us earlier. So in John, Jesus promises, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Regent, I think many of us in our, our day-to-day lives settle into sort of habits of uh, expectations of peace that don't really align with what the Bible tells us about peace. These sorts of ideas that we absorb from our society, um, and it's a version of peace that the world gives, not the peace that Jesus gives. This is, for me personally, coming to really sharp focus as of late, because uh, some of you may know, I, at the end of November, I was laid off from my job of six years. And a lot of that security that I had in the job was sort of just taken away from me. And I've had to realize throughout this how often I actually seek peace, not by turning to Jesus, but by distracting myself, by looking away from uncomfortable realities, um, either through just entertaining myself or amusing myself or by turning toward busyness and hard work. I think a lot of people, both in society and, and within the walls of the church, do regularly experience this sort of pseudo-peace, this sort of false peace that's sort of empty and and doesn't come actually from the assurance in what Jesus has done and that that reality is shaping all that we experience. The peace that many have known, I think, is more like a glossing over of uh, uncomfortable, unpleasant things until we just can't tune those things out anymore and they bubble to the surface. I think that's the kind of peace that the world generally has to offer us, and it might be the piece that Jesus is referring to here. And like I said, we've been influenced by a whole slew of cultural um, ideologies, philosophies, and just to name a few popular ones that I think are part of our our day-to-day reality. One is Buddhism. So we might not talk about it at the surface, but it's an ideology that's around us, and it's, it's the idea within Buddhism that peace is achieved actually by detaching ourselves from the cycle of desire. That if you want nothing, if you need nothing, if you have no passions, that you'll no longer experience distress or agitation. Another one is optimistic nihilism. Not sure if you all have heard of that, but from what I hear, it's the philosophy of choice of Gen Z these days. And it's that peace comes about in our lives when we embrace the idea that life is essentially purposeless, that nothing means anything, uh, and therefore anything that we're stressed about or worried about isn't worth being disturbed about. We might as well just enjoy, you know, a few laps around the sun that we have on this rock called Earth. Uh, and you can think of that as kind of the hakuna matata path to peace. Like, no worries, just, just let it go. On the other end of the spectrum, we have philosophies, ideologies like humanism. So humanism encourages us to pursue self-actualization, to make the most of all our potential in life by striving to become the best version of ourselves. Uh, and achieving all the personal growth and fulfillment that we can along the way. And that in doing so, we'll actually find inner peace that way. How many of these sound familiar? How many of these 
feel like things that uh, you have sort of internalized. The problem with these ways of thinking about peace is that they can't provide lasting peace in our lives, this peace as the world gives it. They won't survive the true test of time and reality that is life. Uh, but in Christianity, we have something that's distinct. We have not the end of desire, not the shrugging off of all meaning, definitely not the quest to reach our highest individual potential. No, Regen. The peace that Jesus has offered us is not so numbing, it's not so empty as these philosophies. Paul tells us in Ephesians, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We follow a God whose life is now our life. And to know him is to know peace. His shalom, his wholeness, his rightness, his righteousness is ours. And not just in some abstract sense, that if you keep these ideas straight in your head, if you've got all the propositions absorbed and you just tell yourself, recite these things every morning, that then you're going to experience peace. It's not that. No, we don't follow a philosophy. We're not adherents to some ideology. We follow a person. And his peace comes through the presence of his Holy Spirit that is with us, that is within us. He's the promised helper who Jesus says will teach us and bring to mind the truths of Jesus. God's Spirit is working out his peace in us day by day. Amen? So rather than stifling desire and passion, we're called to align our passions and desires with his passions and desires. Rather than accepting the world as it is, false and all, we're actually called to be hope-filled agents of transformation who can actually bring about real change, meaningful change through the power of his Holy Spirit. And we're given authority as his people in the world to do things that are far beyond our own control. Our Redeemer lives, and because he is Lord of everything, we can have peace. So does this actually put to rest entirely this problem of peace that we've been talking about? Earlier we asked some questions. Why is it that so often we don't experience peace? And why is it that the peace that we do find tends to be fleeting? What we've answered so far is that we struggle to know peace, the, the true peace of Jesus, because we've often sought peace, not as Jesus gives peace, but as the world offers us peace. The peace of Christ looks different than the peace of the world, and it's found in an entirely different way than the peace that the world has for us. But there's another aspect that I think we need to touch upon today, and that's that even if we are living as followers of Jesus, even if we are seeking our peace from him and trusting in his spirit to bring us shalom, our lived experiences themselves might still very often not look or feel very much like peace to us. Which leads us to the second side of this problem that Andrea was mentioning. And with it, I think there's this beautiful, frustrating and mysterious place in faith and in life that I think we need to explore where so much meaning I've found is found in paradox. Because peace itself is a radical paradox. Who here, like me, loves themselves a good paradox? Who here knows what a paradox is? Raise your hand if you know what a paradox is. So for those of you who, who might be newer to this term, paradox is when two ideas that seem to be in 
contradiction to each other, actually both simultaneously true. And a quick and funny example of this would be to say, on one hand, you need experience to get a job. Yet at the same time, it's also true that you need a job to get experience. When Jesus, our Prince of Peace, was born, the Bible tells us that the heavenly host declared, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This was profound and wonderful news for the shepherds who were nearby to hear. It was a, a declaration of messianic peace for those who would receive it. And yet this thing that Jesus brings us and what he offers the world is by its very nature profoundly disruptive. And we might even say unpeaceful, right? And Jesus basically literally says so himself in, in Matthew 10. He's preparing his disciples to be sent out into the surrounding towns and villages to do the works that Jesus has been doing. And he wants them to know and understand the harsh realities that they're going to encounter out there as they go from town to town. And he says to them, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Peace on earth. Goodwill to mankind. Yet Jesus tells us, do not think I've come to bring peace. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's hang on to that. What if the peace that Jesus is offering us is missed by us, not because we're not seeking it in him, even though sometimes we don't, but we miss it because we've set limits on how far we'll go in following him. We want all the peace that he has to offer, but we don't want to take up our cross and follow him. We've yet to walk deeply into the waters of obedience and submission, where that peace is actually found. So let me share a story to illustrate what this obedience can mean. How many of you grew up in a place where it was expected of you to go with the flow? Maybe you came from a family of doctors and you were expected to practice medicine. Or you were born in the 90s and that means you're willing to pay a crazy amount of money to see Taylor Swift live. <laughs> Maybe. Well, um, my mom, Farida Youssef, was born into a small Malay village in Singapore. And to be Malay was to be Muslim. Farida grew up devout as the eldest daughter, saying her prayers five times a day, eating halal food and going to mosque every Thursday night. She was obedient and hardworking. She became her father's favorite of seven children by getting asked to complete more chores, like helping her mom paint the house. Yay. Um, she became one of the family's breadwinners as a school dental nurse. It was a good job for this 19-year-old, and things were seemingly peaceful going with the flow. 
But God had another plan for her life. A Chinese coworker shared her Christian faith with my mom one day, and she accepted Christ, later visiting a church service where her heart was stirred by the music and the message. It didn't take long for her parents to discover that she had decided to follow Jesus. She was still living with her family. So stories about this, you know, you might have heard about strict Muslims and conversions that usually led to violence or being disowned. In this case, her family held out hope that she would come back to Islam and basically put her on watch. They thought, you know, this is a temporary thing. Something's going to change. Her father began taking her to work and back daily on his motorcycle. Farida would find ways to sneak out for fellowship. Over the months, her family brought her to a shaman. They put special prayed over salts into her water. They pleaded with her to come back to Islam for her family's sake. One shaman even told her parents that what was inside of her was difficult to exercise. And in these times, the Bible was a source of strength and peace for her. This went on for months until she turned 21 when she was old enough to get her passport. And one day she got up to go to work and instead took off for the airport. She got on her first flight to the Philippines and didn't look back, going by Genma from then on. Her friend arranged a local pastor and helped her enroll in a seminary where she lived in Manila for five years secretly. Um, she sent a few letters via friends from around the world to let her family know that she was safe and well. But it was desperate times for my mom. She was eking out a living selling dried fish on the streets and had a soon-to-expire student visa. She prayed fervently that God would make a way for her. One day after she finished her studies, she visited the seminary and met Michael. He had studied Islam in seminary and was in disbelief at Gemma's testimony. A Malay Christian? That's impossible. I would say long story short, but it's really short story short because after a month he proposed, so they got engaged. And my mom took her second flight to the US months later. You know, it sounds like this is a happily ever story, and in many ways it was. After a seven-year hiatus, my mom came out of hiding and allowed her parents to visit her in the U.S. God continued to provide for my parents in those early years of marriage with three kids and both their families living far away. And over the past 40 years, dozens of religious tracts have been exchanged between my Muslim relatives and my Christian family and vice versa. A multitude of prayers have been whispered that the other would finally see the truth and turn. And there's been no conversions beyond my mom to speak of. She's the only one that's left Singapore. I can attest, as I look back on it, that there is a timid curiosity of the next generation who see their aunt as someone that defied the odds. For them, to be Malay no longer means to be Muslim. I share this story with you today to remind you not to take the path of Jesus lightly. Following Jesus is what brought my mom into her most trying places. Following Jesus can divide you from what you hold dear and can bring you into suffering. Maybe some of you can relate. 
Some of us have made our careers the source of our security and peace. And today, God is calling you to take a different path. Others of us are filling our lives with the pursuit of possessions and comforts, maybe that nicer car, that extravagant life experience. And in so doing, we're seeking the peace of the kingdom of our own making rather than God's. And there's still others of us who are so focused on bringing peace into our lives by sheltering our families from any sort of hardship and affording them every opportunity that this life has to offer, that we forget that we must teach our children to run the race for a crown that will last forever, rather than a crown that won't last. The true life of freedom that God calls us to should and will shove you uncomfortably up against the flow of this world, no matter where you find yourself. To truly follow Jesus is to love him more than your own life. The message of Jesus is truly peace. But that peace is going to bring disruption into the world. African-American social reformer and abolitionist Frederick Douglass maintain that without struggle, there could be no social progress and no real peace. He said that those who desire peace and freedom for all but oppose agitation are those who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. And this is the paradox of peace, church. It's the realization that it comes only through costly struggle within ourselves and within the world. We can't have one without the other. And Jesus invites us to both of these. Jesus, just before his death, which he knows is near, um, he's had the last supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet. Uh, He goes on to teach them for about five chapters throughout the book of John. It's his final words and counsel to his disciples who he loves and who he knows are going to be going through some hardship themselves. He tells them this. He says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This message that we're sharing today is not an invitation to seek out tribulation and trouble. There's enough of that you can find without seeking it out. But we want you to hold on to this paradox of peace. Jesus gives his peace even as he takes away our peace. I'll say that again. Jesus gives his peace, even as he may take away our peace. And because there is no life apart from Jesus, there is no real peace apart from him. God wants to offer us peace, but not apart from himself. Not because God is cruel or because of some conceit. Remember, this is our God who is full of goodness. No, it's because there simply is no true, enduring peace apart from God's Son, Jesus. The whole universe, all of the cosmos, is by him, for him, through him. And by design, peace, shalom, within it comes through wholeness with Jesus, right standing with Jesus, who is the Lord. And Isaiah 26, 3 says this of God, 
You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. It is our trust in God that brings true peace. We're going to uh, move toward the conclusion and the closure of our, our sharing this morning. But as we close, we'll enter into a time of reflection and communion. And I'd la- like to ask that if you uh, would like to participate in communion this morning and, and you don't have the elements yet, that you raise your hands. We'll have someone come around and provide those to you. And I, I'd like to ask that Joe and, and the worship team come up as well and play for us while we, we just pause to meditate on what it is that Jesus has done for us, how he has brought peace that endures. Uh, and as we do this, uh, we'll have a couple folks up front. Mike up here on the left, maybe Susanna or one of the elders up here on the right. If you'd like to receive prayer as you're reflecting, please do come up. For some of you, this might be a a chance to acknowledge places in our lives where the problem of peace that we've discussed is very, very real. Where we've sought to be at peace with our fears and our anxieties and our worries, but we end up falling back into the same cycles over and over again after we can no longer numb ourselves, distract ourselves, trick ourselves into being calm. For those of us who find ourselves here, Jesus offers you himself as your peace. It's his body broken, his blood poured out so that you might have that true peace. For all of us here today, there's a chance to remember the words of Jesus. That in this world, we will have tribulation. And on one hand, if you choose to not follow Jesus, you're going to still have a form of tribulation by choosing not to follow him, by resisting his call, by not submitting fully to him as your Lord. But on the other hand, if you choose to follow him, if you say, Lord, Not my will, but your will be done. You you may experience a different, perhaps more intense form of tribulation (laughs) and persecution as you actually take up your cross and you follow him. But what does Jesus say? I've said these things to you so that in, in me you may have peace, but take cart, I have overcome the world. What is Jesus calling you to today? What's that next step of faithfulness, of surrender, of his kingdom taking hold within you? Will you set aside making your careers and possessions and experiences and family achievements the sources of your peace and security? All for the sake of knowing his peace. We do not follow a God who demands anything of us that he has not already given of himself to us. And he even says more. He says, those who leave lands and mothers and brothers and fathers for my sake will gain it back 100-fold. 
That hundredfold is not necessarily, you know, you're going to have way more brothers and way more land. No, it's, it's Jesus himself is our hundredfold. So let's pause now. Uh, we'll, we'll take a, a little moment of silence to listen. And I encourage you to consider what God would have you do. this gift of communion of receiving the life of Jesus into ourselves it's the food that we eat that gives us life and in this case it's the body and blood of Christ that we receive that gives us true life and true peace so as we continue to worship uh, let's pray and, and receive this gift Lord, we receive your blood poured out for us on the cross. Your blood that uh, washes away our guilt and our sin. And not just that, Lord, your, your blood that uh, sets us free from the chains and the bondage of death over our lives. We receive your body as well, Lord. Knowing that it was broken so that we might live. Thank you, Lord. Amen.